Welcome to the Boss Ladies Podcast. I'm Olivia Wary, and as a young female working in the industry of technology, I'm constantly struggling to find my voice and overcome challenges thrown my way. I've decided to have conversations with boss ladies in every industry to hear how they do it. Awesome. So Allison, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on Boss Ladies today. How's everything going? It's great. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. You know, I'd love if you could start by just telling me a little bit about what piqued your interest in restaurant technology and and how did that lead you to co-founding Seven Rooms? Yeah, so I I get this question a lot and I think people expect for me to have some sort of story where, you know, I grew up in my family's restaurant business or maybe I waited tables in college when that light bulb went off, but that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, I actually started a restaurant tech company having absolutely no experience in restaurants, um, having absolutely no experience in tech. Uh, So to give you a little bit of background on, on how I actually got here, in college, I studied finance. And coming out of college, I just took the traditional route of taking a job in investment banking. That's what, you know, all of my classmates were doing. And as luck would have it, I actually wound up meeting my co-founder, my current co-founder, Joel, at Credit Suisse. Um, So I was in finance for a number of years, and and Joel and I shared a couple things in common. Uh, The first one being we were always trying to find our way out of finance. Uh, I don't know what finance is like today, but, but um, you know, back then it was pretty grueling. You know, we were working 80, 90 hour weeks. We were spending days and nights working on 100 page slide decks and crunching numbers in Excel. Um, and we were really looking for something more exciting to do. So we started working on all sorts of different side hustles, you know, to give you an idea of like how pathetic we were. We were, uh, you know, one of our side hustles was we were trying to sell advertising on the hot dog carts right outside our office building, um, which <laughs> I, I still love think that. Is, yeah, I still think it's a good idea, by the way. Very tough business to scale. But the other <laughs> thing that Joel and I had in common, other than this like entrepreneurial spirit, is that we really had a love for restaurants. Um, as consumers, we loved going out. We loved knowing what the new restaurants were and talking about them and, and trying them out. Um, but the challenge for us was that, you know, we were working such long hours that we never, you know, knew when we were going to have off. Uh, we couldn't get last minute reservations at these places. Um, and we certainly didn't have the free time to be going to these places all the time to build a relationship with them uh, so that we'd be able to, you know, get that table last minute. Uh, so selfishly, we're like, oh, let's let's start a business to help people get last minute reservations at really, really hard to get into places. I'll spare you all the details, but, you know, we spent nights, weekends, you know, we would be working our banking jobs till midnight uh, and we would come home and, you know, work three, four hours on on the platform and then, you know, go back into work a couple hours later. So, you know, it was pretty brutal. And sadly, that company did not work out. It was a total failure. But it was a really important failure that we had because we took a couple things from it. You know, the first one is we realized that to start a company, you actually have to be solving a real problem. And, you know, just because an idea sounds really good in your head, it doesn't mean that there's an actual business there. You know, to us, a business to help people get last minute tables sounded great. But in actuality, you know, me calling up a restaurant saying, I have 10 people that want to come in on Friday night when they already have a waiting list a mile long, you're not really adding any value there. There's, there's nothing impactful that you're doing for the restaurant, right? 
And the second thing that we took away from that is if we hadn't have done that business, we wouldn't have gotten our feet wet in the hospitality space. Um, and we wouldn't have stumbled upon the idea that actually is at the root of what Seven Rooms is today. So, you know, in, in being a part of the industry and going out to all these restaurants, you know, of course, doing market research, we actually discovered that there was an issue when we would go back to a restaurant that we've been to a, a, a million times, right? And that person you've built a relationship with has left. Um, so I don't know if you've had that experience before, like you return to your favorite neighborhood restaurant and, you know, it's like cheers and you feel like everyone knows who you are. And then all of a sudden, you know, one day you walk in and the staff has turned over and you're back to being a nobody there. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's what makes uh, your dining experience really special, right? Is it feels like you're at home, right? And they know your preferences mm-hmm. and, and they know how to make you happy while you're there. And so we were like, why is that the case? Um, And so we went back to the drawing board and we really dug into the types of systems that uh, hospitality operators were using. And what we realized is there was actually a much bigger problem in the space. And that problem was that they had absolutely no data about their guests, about the people who are walking in and out of their restaurant every day. And we're like, that's really interesting because you know, hospitality is a people business. It's all about people and understanding people. And how do you provide good hospitality? You understand what their wants are, what their needs are. Um, So how is it possible that this industry is functioning with absolutely no guest data? So, you know, that's where the initial, uh, you know, version of Seven Rooms was really born was simply a guest profile tracking system uh, where restaurants could track you know, guest preferences, how many times they visited, what they've spent, if they had a favorite bottle of wine. Um, And over time, you know, we have built a ton of tools on top of that. So we built operational tools for the restaurant, like reservation management, waitlist management, uh, online ordering. Uh, We've built marketing tools for the restaurant. But, you know, at the core of everything we do is still that guest data, right? And it's that guest data that makes everything else that we provide for the restaurant that much more powerful and, you know, enables them to, uh, you know, create those personalized experiences in the dining room. It enables them to do really great marketing to get guests to come back in the door. So it definitely was not a traditional path to get the company uh, to where it is today. It, you know, I think it took us a lot longer to get going because we didn't really understand restaurants. Um, You know, we had to learn everything on the fly uh, in, in terms of how to build a tech company as well. You know, I, I think that the the path was less traditional, but I think, you know, every step that we took, it kind of makes sense how we got here. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's it's super inspiring, especially because, you know, I think people often feel like stuck in a certain industry or a certain career path. And I think it's really cool that you were able to pivot and create something that you wanted to. You know, I love the creativity and the innovation behind Seven Rooms and you know, I was listening to a talk you gave earlier at, I think it was the NRA show. Uh, and you were talking about the data and the use of Amazon Alexa. And I was super blown away. Can you share a little of that on the podcast? I think it's it's super cool to hear. Yeah, for sure. So um, Amazon is actually an investor in Seven Rooms. And, you know, they took a look at the hospitality space and they thought that, you know, there was a really good use case for Alexa 
in the space, but they didn't really know how to make it come alive. And I think, you know, a lot of other companies in the space probably would have taken Alexa and have done something on the consumer side, right? Like Alexa, you know, order me delivery or book a reservation. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to use that technology to help empower hospitality operators. Um, so the the demo that you're talking about, we actually used a pair of smart focals. So it's a pair of glasses that are Alexa enabled and a GM or a maitre d' at the restaurant could wear these glasses. And, you know, they the glasses didn't look as nerdy as like Google Glass, like they actually looked like real glasses. Um, and they could ask Alexa, you know, Alexa, who's seated on table 21? Uh, and Alexa would spit back, you know, that's Olivia. She's been here 10 times. She loves this type of wine. It's also her birthday tonight. Um, and any important details that the restaurant has stored on that guest profile. And the reason why we feel like that's so powerful for the industry and, and where the industry is headed is because hospitality is all about that personal interaction, uh, you know, that face-to-face touch point with the guest. And when you're staring down at a screen, uh, whether that's an iPad or it's a phone, or even if you're looking at your, your Apple Watch, you're missing out on an opportunity to have that connection with the guest. So we thought voice lent itself really nicely to being able to get that data that you need to really personalize the experience. But at the same time, you know, you never have to take your eyes off the dining room. You never have to take your eyes off the guest. We're really excited about what we've done with it so far. And we have a lot of exciting things uh, coming down the pipe with it as well. That is awesome and so cool. So I, I have a question for you, obviously. Corona, COVID, it's kind of been a crazy time. How have you guys had to adapt given what's going on? Yeah, you know, no one could have ever predicted this. At Seven Rooms, restaurants we spend are, you know, days, nights, living, eating, breathing, sleeping restaurants and, you know, how to make restaurants successful. And uh, when this hit, it was just devastating uh, to see just the the carnage across the restaurant industry. And I mean, um, as a business, we certainly were not immune to the damages of coronavirus as well. And so, you know, in response, though, it was inspiring to see what a lot of restaurants were doing. Like they were pivoting their businesses overnight. You had fine dining restaurants that were now offering delivery. Um, so being very inspired by what was going on around us, the great thing about being a product organization is you can actually build and create things that are going to make an impact on the restaurant industry. Um, so we did a few things. You know, the, the first thing we did is we waived our fees for all of our customers through the end of the year to help them get back on their feet, get them up and running. Um, and as a product organization, we put our heads together and we said, what can we build today, right now? What can we hustle um, and get out the door to really support our restaurants? So we mobilized, we integrated online ordering technology to help all of our restaurants that maybe have never done delivery before get delivery off the ground. We built uh, tools to do contactless payment within the restaurant so that guests don't have to touch menus, they don't have to uh, touch receipts and exchange credit cards. And we also built tools for virtual wait list, for virtual check-in when you arrive at the restaurant. Uh, so there was a whole body of work that came out of the pandemic. You know, I always say as a startup, you never, ever want to waste a good crisis. Um, and I think, <laughs> you know, all the work that we did as a response to coronavirus is actually made our platform so much stronger and made our value prop so much stronger for, for the restaurants. Um, so I, I think that's one of the things that's really special about Seven Rooms is the way 
we band together and we respond in, in tough times. And I think, you know, coronavirus is certainly a great example of that. Yeah, I think that's really powerful and, and you know, speaks even more to sort of the innovation and creativity of, of your team and your mission. And, and I love that that's actually allowed you to expand sort of your services and offerings. And it's really cool how quickly you've been able to, to do that and get that off the ground. So that's amazing. So I want to jump topics a little bit and, and talk a little bit more about you and your experience as a female leader and also a female founder, especially in the restaurant tech space, considering how male dominated both the tech and restaurant industries typically are. Yeah, I mean, and I came from finance too, so I'm no stranger to a male-dominated environment, that's for sure. I think for me personally, I, I'm a little better suited for it. Um, and, you know, the reason I say that is, I, you know, I grew up with a, an older brother, a bunch of guy friends. I can tell a dirty joke better than ever, anyone. I was, you know, an athlete <laughs> all my life. So I, I, you know, I fit in, you know, in the, the male-dominated environment pretty well. But, you know, that being said, I definitely recognize the things around me uh, that, were more challenging for females and especially females that were not as outspoken as me that are not able to, you know, be vocal and ask for what they want. Um, I know that I definitely had an advantage there in the, in those environments, but even still today, like I experience it all the time, even, you know, I've become a founder of, you know, this great company in, in the hospitality space. And I can't tell you, you know, it must happen like once a quarter that I'm in a meeting with my co-founder and someone thinks I'm his assistant. <laughs> it's stuff like that. Oh, that yeah, I hate that. <laughs> it happens all the time. But, you know, the, the thing about it is I've, I've accepted it. You know, you're not going to change everyone's mentality overnight. It's just not going to happen. And there's challenges all the time at work. You know, you have a challenging boss, you have a challenging schedule, you have a challenging client, whatever it is. And you really got to look at it as like, this is one more challenge and and not think about it as this is something that should hold you back. It's something that should propel you forward, right? Because you're going to have to work harder to overcome that challenge. And that's just going to make you better at what you do, right? So I, I never really thought of it as like a crutch in that way. And so, you know, that would just be my advice to others is like, you like think about you know how you can you know work harder, be faster, be stronger, uh, so that you know people don't have that bias against you because you're female. Absolutely, I personally find that sometimes it can feel hard, especially when sharing new ideas and and getting acknowledged, especially when they're good ones. Do you have any advice or strategies for sharing those ideas successfully and and really getting heard when you're in a in a room? Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I think a, a successful strategy that a lot of um, female leaders talk about is really finding someone within the organization that, you know, can support you, um, that will, you know, stick up for you, be vocal for you when you can't be. And, you know, if you have great ideas, you know, maybe bring them to that person first um, and get their feedback on, in, on it. Maybe that person will be in the room or get feedback from someone who's going to be in the room who can help support your idea when you bring it forward. Um, so, you know, it's, it's annoying that we have to do all these like extra steps, but like we do. So just, you know, accept it and roll with the, roll with the punches. And I think people will realize like, oh, you know, she actually brings really great ideas to the table. Maybe we don't have to do this little song and dance every single time we have a meeting. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and, you know, I think what you're touching on also is, is a form of allyship and having an ally. And that's something I love to talk about a ton on this podcast. And I think being an ally is more important now than ever, especially given what's going on in the world. Also, you know, the fact that we're all working remotely and sometimes there's challenges there. Can you share some strategies for being an ally or, or some ways that some of your allies have helped you? Yeah, I mean, just following up on what I just said before is if, you know, you're someone that sees a, you know, a, a great colleague, uh, you know, maybe they're the same level as you, maybe they're a junior to you, and they don't really have that voice to, to speak up, but you recognize that, you know, they are great at what they do you know, be someone that sticks up for that person, you know, when there's a group talking about who should lead that next project, or who should we promote to this role, you know, be that person that gets that that woman's name into the mix. You know, I'd also say a couple other things is I think um, a lot of the bias is in the hiring process. You know, there's a lot of male leaders that want to hire people who look just like them, who act just like them. And if, you know, men and women can just take a look at their hiring process and see, you know, are we casting a wide enough net? Are we, you know, making sure that we're, you know, interviewing uh, equal amount of, of men and women uh, for a role? I think that can, you know, kind of change the, the pipeline of who's coming into the organization. And, you know, I, I think the last one is just like calling out bias when you see it. There's a lot of things that I don't see that probably happen behind closed doors. And, you know, I hope that there's, you know, and it's bias against men or women or, you know, whether it's race, religion, whatever it is, you know, I hope those people are calling that out on the spot and just not letting it happen. I think it's going to get a lot better. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that's not going to happen overnight, but I'm really hopeful about the direction that we're heading. You know, I hope that um, it's funny because uh, I think, Next next month is actually the hundredth anniversary of when women got the right to vote, and it seems silly now to think that there was a time when women couldn't vote, right? And so I hope the next generation of female leaders, like it's going to s- sound silly to them that there was a time when you know having women in leadership roles was such a rare occurrence. Like I, I hope that day comes uh, for the next generation. Yeah, I I, I hope so too. Why do you think there aren't more female leaders um, or females in leadership positions or, or members of you know most diverse groups? Like, what do you think we need to do as a society to try and bridge that gap? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think you know one is there's you know a lot of research that shows that you know men are more willing to you know go after jobs that they're not necessarily qualified for. Uh, so, you know, they'll read the job spec and, you know, even if they have two of the five requirements, they're like, okay, I'm going to go for it. Um, and women typically are not as likely to do that. You know, they look for jobs that they're perfectly qualified for. So, you know, a lot of times they're not going after that next promotion or that next role. Um, and I think it goes back to, you know, bias in the hiring process as well, where men are, you know, there's a all like, you know, white males sitting on a board, you know, who do they want to bring in to replace that empty spot? You know, they're probably going to bring in another white male. I think just in looking at like, just like the pipeline of like, who are we inter- interviewing? Who are we considering for this role? I think that there needs to be protocols put in place to make sure there is actually an equal opportunity for everyone to, to have a chance at those roles. 
Yeah, I totally agree with you. And so I interviewed someone in the past on this podcast, Dr. Susan Fleming, and and she said something that I actually think about all the time, which is that also men don't always feel comfortable giving women that same sort of feedback, uh, especially because they can be afraid on how, if it's harsh or they don't want to hurt or hurt anyone's feelings or offend anyone. Or they'll be emotional. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so... Yeah. No, totally. And so that's something like I try to do all the time is always ask, you know, my management for extra feedback, because I don't want that to ever be um, something people are afraid of is I want the feedback so that I can get better and I can improve and continue to grow. A hundred percent. And actually, it's funny because Susan Fleming is actually a friend of mine. Really? And and yeah, and I saw that she was on this podcast and she is just phenomenal. And, you know, talk about, you know, finding someone who is going to root for you. I mean, she's just someone that I could pick up the phone anytime and, and, you know, she'll drop everything to, to give me advice or, or to help out. So, you know, finding those people that, you know, can be there for you uh, in those situations, super, super helpful. She's been uh, to me. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. That's very small world. (laughs) I know, right? So how do you balance being a boss lady, but also not being afraid to be labeled as things like aggressive, especially when, you know, male counterparts can do the exact same thing or say the same thing and not have those labels thrown their way? Oh, it's really tough. Um, And actually, like, that's a particularly tough question for me, because, you know, I definitely am someone that is very blunt, uh, very straightforward. People say I I don't have a filter. And, you know, I I think I've, I've kind of surrounded myself by people who appreciate that, um, and, and appreciate that work style. I can't say that, you know, if I was in a super, super corporate environment, I would probably have to change my style a little bit. But it's something that it has taken me, you know, years to get better at, for sure. Because you, you know, you do not want to come off as aggressive. But you know, at the same time, like, I have thoughts, I have opinions, I have really strong opinions. And, you know, I want people to know how I feel about something. And, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly afraid of, of the response. But I think it's also, you know, because I've I've hired those people that really respect that from me and and also expect that from me. I think it's about like surrounding yourself with those people. Like if you're if you're in a role that you can't have strong opinions about things and voice them uh, without being afraid of the reaction, you know, maybe you should reconsider, you know, the company that you're at or the or the role that you're in for that matter. Do you ever I'm so curious, do you ever get imposter syndrome and if so, how do you deal with that? Oh, all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, all the time. I think like the the most recent major case of imposter syndrome. So um, I was... You definitely don't seem like someone who gets it, by the way, which I know it's easier to hide, but... Okay. First of all, <laughs> everyone gets it. Okay. Everyone. <laughs> and some people are just way better at hiding it than others. But... Um, Yeah. So my most recent uh, bout of imposter syndrome was actually, um, so I was, uh, I recently joined the board of Red Robin uh, Gourmet Burgers. And, you know, I'm definitely one of the youngest independent board directors in the country. And, you know, for me, I was like, am I really doing this? And can I really do this? Like I had, I, I, you know, it's a big responsibility. And, you know, I definitely questioned whether or not I was prepared for that, whether or not I was experienced enough for that. And, you know, funny enough, 
who do I call up? Uh, Susan Fleming, who's been <laughs> on like, I don't know, six, seven boards or something like that. And I told her I was having imposter syndrome. And, you know, and, and now that I'm doing it, the, the truth is like, you're not going to be great at everything. And there's so many things like you're just not going to know and you're going to have to learn and figure out on the fly. But, you know, there's also things that I am an expert at actually, right? And so I realize, you know, things in my lane, like I can really have impact here and I can contribute, but also recognize like there's so many things that I need to learn. For instance, like board governance in general, that's like a big the body of work that you have to know about to be sitting on a public company board. And those are the things that like, I really had to roll up my sleeves and learn. And I'm, I'm still learning every day. And it's been like such an incredible experience. But if I didn't get over that, you know, imposter syndrome, if I didn't get over that, like, you know, great ball of hesitation that I had sitting in my stomach, um, I wouldn't be having the great experience that I'm having today. So yeah, everyone gets it. I still get it. But I, I think it's just like the the getting over it and moving forward and realizing that, you know, it's kind of silly that you felt that way in the first place. Yeah, it's so true. And, and something a mentor shared with me is, you know, as you start to think about all these experiences where you had the imposter syndrome, and then you look back and you're like, well, I did it anyway, and it, it was all okay. It sort of right? helps. It helps with that confidence as well. Totally. So my last question for you, because I always love to end on a high note, is, you know, what do you feel is one of your greatest accomplishments that you want to share with us? You know, I would say I'm really proud of the culture that we've been able to build at Seven Rooms. I think it is incredibly tough to do. Um, and I think that we've managed to build a great group of people that, you know, really care about each other, really work hard, are really passionate about what we do. Um, we were named this year to Inc.'s list of best workplaces for 2020, uh, which is really exciting. And, you know, that's top, awesome. Congrats. Yeah. On top of that, um, my company is greater than 50% female, which is unheard of in tech. You know, I think our leadership team is probably 50% female as well. Um, and so that's something that personally I, I'm really proud of because I don't think you see that that often. And, you know, I hope that we start to see that more and more going forward. I think that's amazing and a wonderful note to end on. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on Boss Ladies. Thanks. Thanks for having me. For more information about Boss Ladies, go to www.bossladiespodcast.com. Also check us out on Instagram at Boss Ladies Podcast. Check back soon for another episode of Boss Ladies.